Welcome to the Shooting Times podcast. The Shooting Times podcast is brought to you by Field Sports Press, our new owner. Um, I'm Patrick Galbraith, the veteran editor now of Shooting Times. I've been at it since I was 23, so seven years now I've been uh, in the editor's chair. I'm joined today by Simon Barr, the chief executive of Field Sports Press. Uh, Simon, I believe that you have the latest issue of Shooting Times there with you. I do. It's one of the privileges I get. It comes to me one day early before it hits the newsstand. So this is the very issue that we're going to be discussing today um, with the 16th of August on the cover. I normally get mine about... Uh Sometimes, I think two days after you get yours. And I was just <laughs> up on the Isle of Harris where they get theirs about a week after. I was, uh, I was noting that their, their latest copy of Country Life had arrived on the Isle of Harris, which was three weeks old, which was uh, quite something. But anyway. Um, looking good. New cover, new paper New cover, stock. better paper stock. Yeah. Yep, I actually Investing in it. I drove past the, uh, the new uh, printer last night. I was driving over the ooze washes at about midnight and I drove past the new printer. Uh, they were all shut up. But I think they used sort of sustainable British paper and all that kind of yep, thing, which was... We, we made a decision to move away from the paper stock that was previously used. Uh, it's made from recycled stock in the UK. So it's British paper for a British title. Um, we've upgraded the weight of the uh, cover, uh, which I'm sure our regular readers will see and the stock inside is a heavier weight as well so it it's quite cool in a world where you know print titles are sort of going from nice paper to kind of loo paper pretty quickly to to go in the other direction is uh yeah, it's well, we cool. value our print titles and this is one of many that we publish and you know it's it's one of the jewels in the crown and we felt it needed uh, some investment and we're very happy to see how good it looks um with upgraded paper and, and better green credentials as well so what we want to do in this podcast is to talk about news stories. You know, that's something that Shooting Times has always done. It's always broken news stories for over 140 years now. It's provided the news. It's provided news analysis. Um, so we want to sort of look at the hottest topics. And at the moment, there are some really very hot topics indeed. Um, this week, Sam, you've got the news stories there in front of you. We're looking at United Utilities again, which is an evolving news story. I think I was on my way to a wedding when that story broke. I was all dressed up. I'd actually had a beer, a pre-church beer, which I think is always a good thing to do at a wedding, when that story broke and you got on the phone and we spent about an hour going back and forth, calling people up in the area. Um, and the people in the area were pretty devastated when that broke. There's an old guy, I think, who you've shot with, a guy called Peter Pedder. Who runs a lovely shoot. 76 years old, that guy. Uh, and he said it's not just an environmental issue for him. There's also, you know, a social issue. He said he's got, uh, or a people issue. He's got a keeper there. He's got a child in the local school. You know, there's family regulars at the local pub. And when, when grouse shooting ends, uh, you know, you, you, you end up sort of tearing the heart out of rural communities and places that have been kind of depeopled. Um, the reason that United Utilities said they were doing it were environmental reasons, really. But they now extraordinarily seem to have backpedaled on this uh, and they said that what they want to do is they want to talk to local stakeholders and they want to understand the impact um, but you know in many ways the decisions yeah, being taken horse. <laughs> well exactly and I think there's just a there's just a really important lesson for all of us you know whether we're just individuals or businesses to like try and really understand an issue um, before you just kind of go in swinging in a way, it's, 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 you know, when you look at it in the cold light of day, it's almost hard not to feel sorry for this company. I think they had almost 70,000 sewage leaks in 2022. Uh, I think they thought that this was their, like, get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, you go for, like, the tyranny of the majority over the minority. And actually, you know, the countryside has turned around and said, we don't reckon very much of that, actually. So, you know, it's really interesting from a, from a business perspective. Um, 
And I think, uh, I mean, the Countryside Alliance have done a, a really good job. Tim Bonner wrote an open letter to them and they created a petition. 6,000 people have signed up to the petition. So um, the Countryside community came together on this one very quickly. Um, the Countryside Alliance and others, Basque, I know, have, have and some local groups have been in touch with them. So I think they've probably listened and, and let's hope they backtrack on a, a bad decision. I mean, I think the thing with grouse moor management is it's so complicated. I mean, I spent a little bit of time recently with some guys who were burning heather. Um, there'd been a big wildfire up in Scotland and I drove up to see them and I learned a huge amount uh, during the course of that morning. There were, there were guys there, like fourth, fifth generation keepers who'd learned how to fight fire on the hill from their fathers and from their grandfathers and from their great grandfathers. And, you know, I think the idea that people can sit around in, in an office and think, right, this is how we're going to do it because we understand this issue. It's really it's really mad. So I hope if there is a sort of silver lining here, um, I, I hope that other businesses will who have swathes of land will think, actually, we don't want to make the mistake that those guys made. And, and maybe they will um, yeah, change their National mind. Trust, others. Well, there's loads of them. There's loads of them. I mean, you've got you've got your know, mining companies in Scotland with like the best part of a hundred thousand acres, um, and you know there are there's there are people on that land. You know, there's sort of cultures on that land, and and so yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think one of the other stories which you've got there in front of you, I think, is the debanking story. <laughs> Laughable. I mean, off the back of the Farage yeah. scenario, we're now being debanked because we participate in shooting. So I think it's the, the story is that um, a number of banks have um, uh, closed accounts if it's a, a shoot-based account with anything to do with the word shooting in the bank account name. Um, there's been a number of high street banks that have withdrawn um, their services from those accounts, which I think is pretty shocking. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you say it's off the back of the Farage situation. I mean, I've, I heard from one of the biggest agents in field sports over a year ago now that they'd been debanked and they wanted to kind of keep it quiet. So we didn't do a story on it. And now, uh, you know, I mean, I think people coming back to Basque, it was like 65% of people they polled said that uh, of shooting businesses said that they'd have problems with their banking, which is like, which is, which is just nuts. And then, and then when they really looked into it, 57% of those people said that basically the bank came back to them and said they didn't want to be associated in any way with anybody who was connected with firearms, which is like, okay, sure. But like, does that mean the RSPB? I mean, they've got people controlling foxes and shooting corvids and so on. Like, are those guys, are we going to bank those guys? Forestry Commission. Forestry Commission. I mean, big working estates, you know, like uh, the Holcomb Estate, you know, uh, Annick, all of those places. I mean, those are places that, that, that people love to visit and, and sort of do tremendous things for conservation. Like, do we debank all of those guys? So yeah. it kind of goes back to that thing. I think if somebody sits there and thinks, you know, what would make our customers really, really pleased would be if we sort of, you know, debank these guys and they, they take these decisions and then think actually god like it was a hell of a lot more complicated than we thought so yeah and and hopefully again the community will come together um led by our great organizations and poll and lobby and get petitions signed and demonstrate to the banks that actually there's a lot of us in the countryside that partake in that and if we decide to go to a shooting friendly bank it's quite a few accounts that will be proactively closed um, if there's a bank that won't support the shooting sector maybe there's maybe there's a gap in the market for a uh, shooting <laughs> a, a shooting friendly bank ask ask no questions i think that's a kind of off offshore situation yeah there's a couple of quite interesting stories um in this week's issue from that, that relate uh, to scotland obviously i'm based up in edinburgh yeah um i was lucky to have a day out on the tweed last week um and i've not seen as many fish in the tweed as that for a long time now 
given the water conditions were pretty much optimal. And uh, historically, I think the last two or three summers, we've had very dry summers, which isn't good for salmon running. So we've had a lot of wet in Scotland um, through July um, that has led to high water that's clear rather than a flood where it goes very dirty and it won't fish very well. Did you catch did you catch many fish? I had a sea trout and the, the, the two guys that I was with, we I think between us I lost three salmon, I caught a sea trout, um, my friend caught three, my other friend lost one and caught one, caught two. Wow. So it was I mean it was a bumper day and a day like I've not had on the tweed for a long time. Um I think we can get a bit clouded by some good catch numbers because of good water conditions and think that salmon fishing's okay. I think there's still a lot of things to worry about. It's also just so varied. I mean, I was up last week at Amansui, uh, which is up in Harrod. So, you know, about as far away as you can you can get from where I am at the moment in Norfolk and certainly very far away from Edinburgh too. But they've 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 had a very poor season. Um and, and their problem is that they've not had enough rain. So yeah. so where, where the rest of the UK is getting absolutely, you know, sort of more rain than uh then we know what to do with the poor guys at Arm and Syria waking up every morning and hoping that it's going to Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, they're, they're a wild creature that respond to the conditions on the day um, or the month. And uh, I think there has been, uh, you know, the, the rainfall. I mean, the Spay had its worst spring on record. Really? Wow. Um, yeah, wow. really, really, you know, significantly down on last year. I think catches across Scotland were down about 30% in spring, and that was off the back of the worst spring ever so you know this spring run is not there the autumn run is not there and the fish seem to come in in summer if there's rain now which is potluck with british summertime so another interesting story patrick staying in scotland is that the um male deer season is being removed i think is it yeah. the 22nd of october that that's coming in or around then um and the accusation is there's been not enough consultation on it as always yeah um, yeah I mean, I was talking. I was in uh, Loch Ernhead yesterday, talking to a guy who used to have the stalking uh, at Glen Lyon, I believe. Going, and I was asking him, and he just said he thinks it's very sad. Really, you know, it kind of it it removes. Um, I think it removes a degree of respect, actually, that that people historically have had for deer when yeah. you start to just see them as a problem rather than uh, as something to be cherished uh, and as a resource. I mean, there's another story I think in our news pages this week about the fact that venison just isn't utilised in the way that it should yeah, be. I mean, post-COVID, the venison prices have been very, very low. Um, and the worry is that this is going to put lower quality venison onto the market because it will be going on all year round. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the one benefit, I guess, is you don't need to shoot stags during the rut. You can shoot them all year round. But maybe if it was an extra two weeks post-rut or yeah, yeah, they start pretty early in, in Scotland, but maybe there was a way around it rather than an, a sort of... And, and also, it's not just about stags. It's all deer species, fallow and roe as well in, in Scotland so, and seeker. So, um, you know, I think it's it's a great pity. I mean, we've got, you know, a couple of hundred years worth of heritage of, of you know, having seasons and, and doing things the way that we've done them. And now it's all with thermals and nighttime and, you know, lowering the um, number of deer per square kilometre. And it, it seems like, a you know, it's it's turned into, you know, a all out slaughter on, on and, and, and actually, if you want to get the population down, you do it with the females, not the males. Not the males you need yeah, one stag yeah. and a herd of, of hinds and then away you go. You, you know, it just seems like it's not been considered in the way that I would imagine it would be if they really wanted to get a population down. No, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Just that whole thing of understanding things before decisions are taken. And actually, that leads on very interestingly to a story 
on uh, a forthcoming consideration of the species that we shoot. Um, and Basque have tried to kind of get ahead on this one. And they're saying that, you know, we need to self-regulate in some... Which species are the... I understand, is it, is it ptarmigan, black grouse? No, I mean, I don't actually think it's been made clear yet which it will be. But I mean, you know, for example, right, snipe. Snipe's always a contentious one. But, but I think the point would be is that, you know, snipe are in decline in places, but shooting hasn't been shown, I think, anywhere to have an impact on snipe numbers negatively. At the same time, we know that there are lots of people, I myself have been one of them over the years, um, who have maintained bits of habitat for snipe. So like, what's the true picture? Does shooting have a, have a net positive impact on snipe or, or, or a negative impact on snipe, right? And, you know, if you're on social media and you put something out and said, you know, this, this bird is, is struggling in some places should people stop shooting it well of course like that's that's a pretty easy one to answer if you're there on social media in your pajamas you know lying on your sofa kind of thing but but i think what basque have said is like we really need to ensure that the people who take these decisions actually understand them and that you know they are taking these decisions based on science, science and not just one study GWCT. you know well from everybody do you know yeah. what i mean i mean you can't just i mean there's people always say you know I'm looking to the science, but like what science, you know, and how much science and, and how many researchers have come together and is it peer reviewed? Do you know, you know what I mean? I mean, I think, I think we need to have as many people in the room when these decisions are being taken and actually we need to have the people in the room uh, and, and the people who are, uh, who are being affected, essentially, they need to be in the room, right? And they need to be consulted and, and yeah, that's, actually, that's a worry. Speaking of social media, I noticed quite an interesting poll um, which one of the team put up on the Shooting Times Twitter feed um, which would be your favourite style of shooting. And it was um, uh, unanimously walked up shooting at 49%, which was quite nice to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really funny, those polls. I poll, I poll all the time. I mean, I, poll, I did a poll yesterday about wolves. Are we pro-wolf, anti-wolf or pro-bear? But, you know, they're quite interesting. Um, and it's often surprising. It's often surprising. You know, particularly on, on, on Twitter, interestingly, there's a real kind of group of very uh, ethically conscious shooters, which is, which is interesting. Um, what, else, what else is there that's caught your attention in the news this week? Is there anything? There was something on pigeon shooting, I think. It's been a hard season for pigeon shooters. Yeah, with wet, such a wet summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, will have a negative impact on crop yields. Um, pigeon shooting is obviously something that is a way of managing damage to crop. Um, and I guess it's much harder to uh, deal with the issue when the weather's very poor. So um, yeah. I think that's... Uh, it's and also just for farmers out there at the moment, I mean, harvest is, is, harvest is tough, you know. I mean, they're having to take their opportunities when they can. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. I think if you get very into pigeon shooting, you end up having lots of conversations with farmers. And again, it's one of those things where you realise, um, you know, there was, a, there was a video I saw the other day of a man coming out in Suffolk in his pyjamas and getting very upset with somebody who was combining. And the person who was combining was saying to him, you know, what do you mean you're upset that we're combining through tonight? We've got to take every opportunity at the moment we can get when it's not absolutely pissing it down with rain, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and moving on to features, was there anything in this issue that interested you? I always like to see a bit of Tom Payne. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've noted that obviously that's also on the shooting show. So um, if anyone that's listening to this or watching this on YouTube fancies dipping over to uh, our other channel, our YouTube channel shooting show, um, that will be featured um, on the shooting show, I think, this week. So definitely worth checking that out. He's excited about that, actually. He called, he called me yesterday to tell me how well he'd, uh, how well he'd got on. So 
Yeah, it was an interesting piece from Tim Bonner about the sort of forecast of what grouse shooting looks like. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, yeah. Know. I mean, I say, oh, really, because I was away last week fishing. So I've, 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 you know, I vaguely know what was in this magazine that I edit, but... but you know. Yeah, he just talks about the uncertain future of um, grouse shooting. Yeah, um, yeah. And moorland management in Scotland. Obviously, licensing looming. Um, we don't know how that's going to shake down. Um, and actually, back to news, there was a, a case of bird flu found in a. a the first oh, yeah, case I of saw that. Yeah. Bird flu yeah. found in a, a red grouse in the borders. I mean, you know, so people were tweeting saying, you know, so surely this means that the Glorious 12th can't go ahead. And like, I, I don't know. I mean, what impact? I mean, I mean, look, trying to look at it completely objectively, that didn't seem to be a logical thing to be saying, but it just, you know, it became like this kind of battleground. Well, it's just, of it's nonsense. just another, another thing. But wild birds don't congregate. Uh, certainly grouse don't congregate in the same numbers um, uh, that are uh, in an intensively farmed scenario with um, with chickens, for example, poultry. Um, and so, you know, the impact is going to be pretty low. Actually, one thing I did notice when I was uh, fishing on the Tweed, it was a lovely beat, Burgeon Dub. Um, I saw from the walk from the, uh, you have to go across the river in a, in a boat, um, but from the boat over to where we started at the top of the beat, I must have counted uh 50 dead seagulls really all, really yeah. so bird flu's absolutely still here this season and how did you, know, you cook them <laughs> I yeah I, I i didn't quite fancy a little sort of barbecue on the river on the river bank but um yeah it was just interesting and there were um carcasses of different decay so there were fresh ones there were oh, really? skeletons. It's actually yeah. quite interesting isn't it when you see that and you get it and you can see what they've been eating sometimes and, and yeah so, on. so yeah. but yeah i mean it's still still there um we'll see how that pans out for the season ahead there was a there was a very interesting piece i thought this week um by richard negus on non-toxic shot he said to me you know he said the first time i reviewed a non-toxic load for you was in 2019 um which you know so so we've really been at it for quite a long time with trying out different cartridges and he said he's just really pleased about how far they've come um and he says you know most seasons now he tries something which he thinks is a real improvement on you know whatever there was the season before so that's uh that's certainly quite interesting bio ammo blue is one that he particularly yeah i've got it liked. open in front of me and uh yeah quite a deep dive into it um something we all need to consider i guess lots of stuff in there latest issue about the game fair which happened uh, a few weeks ago yeah um, yeah very positive responses from everybody post the game fair yeah, I was uh, slogging it out on the stage with uh, Mark Osborne. He said to me, "Every five years, we get together and have an argument on the uh, on the stage." In the theater, which is uh, which is true. I think it was five. I years I heard you didn't pull any one. punches. No, no. I think well, neither of us did. Neither of us did. Um, it was, but we sort of came to a, you know, Charlie Jacoby, our friend at Field Sports Britain. He likes to always come up with a contentious theme. So it was, you know, big bags, basically, you know, good or bad. And and we both said, actually, you know what? It's not really about bag sizes, except for public perception, which I think is a strand that we need to consider. But, you know, it's about whether shoots are doing good in terms of conservation or not. And that's a pretty simple question. Yeah, and the, you know, the, I think those that oppose what we do dislike one bird being shot versus 500 birds yeah well, it's really shot. interesting i i would actually disagree I, I disagree i disagree on that i think that i think that there are there are gray areas um and i think there are lots of people who who are more kind of tuned in perhaps to um to to shooting them than we maybe realize who don't who don't actually shoot themselves it's interesting it's interesting it's well worth going around just asking asking people what they think i think yeah i mean i just you know 500 bird days or a 500 bird i'm not a big advocate for big bag days but you know i feel that uh we ourselves in the community 
criticise one another for things that probably aren't that relevant outside of our sector. It's more that they people just don't like the fact that we shoot things. Um, it's not about the size of the bag, I believe. But yeah, um, no, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Hotly, yeah. hotly disputed topic, I think, isn't it? So I think I hang out with too many kind of you know thirty-something-year-old people in South London who've been reading up on venison and would like to eat more of it or whatever. But that's probably a fairly small um, section of, of of the British public. But I think there is an appetite for like wild food, which is quite interesting. Um, so-called wild food. Maybe we should rebrand game wild food. Everyone's very into rebranding things at the moment. Yeah. Well, we're not going to rebrand the shooting times, that's for sure. Um, does does so what it says on not, the tin. I think so, yeah. Um, and, and the news piece in the shooting times is so important, and I guess that's the one of the main reasons to do the podcast, is to bring the news to life. Hopefully people will be able to engage with the news stories on their way to work or sitting in a high seat or on as they're trying to drift off to sleep in the evenings to listen to all the woes of the, the, the shooting sector. But I think this is something that we've talked about for a long time, and I'm, I'm really excited to get it off the ground. Yeah. Um, Something sort of lighter topic, Nick Ridley's written a lovely piece about the real worth of a working Spaniel, um, and it's great to see him in the mag. So, uh, Oh, the value, yeah, what we should pay for working Spaniels, yeah, yeah. No, he's a new addition. I mean, it's, it's one of the great pleasures, I think, of editing Shooting Times is you have to wake up every Monday and think, how can I make this magazine a bit better than it was last week? So, you know, Nick Ridley's a new face in there. I mean, he's not a totally new face in there. He's written for us before, but he's a new columnist. Um, and he's great, you know. I mean, I mean, we had a bit of a lack, I think, of working spaniel stuff. So he's really good, and he poses a really interesting question. I mean, if you, you know, you've got a working spaniel, I've got a working spaniel. If we paid eight thousand pounds for our dogs, actually, over the course of their working life, that would probably represent good value. Yeah, and and we had that crazy situation where the price of dogs went through the roof in uh, in during COVID, um, and I think it's normalised again now to a but probably still. I remember when you could buy a spaniel for three hundred and fifty quid, and that's yeah. your buddy for fourteen years. You know, it seems like yeah. a total bargain. It depends. I bought a I bought is, a I poodle. I bought a poodle for for five hundred pounds about fifteen years ago. I was very aggressive. It was a real biter. So never again. Never again. Uh, one of the things I'm sure you talked to Chris Packham about is your love of poodles. well, exactly our mutual our mutual love of poodles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't talk about the uh, the poodle, but we've got coming out together. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think lastly, I've, I, I mean, I was just I. I, I opened up the uh, the PDFs. Um, you've got the proper copy in front of you. I've only got the PDFs at this stage. There's a guy called Miles Malone who started writing for us. Really terrific writer. Um, I was just reading about his sort of evocation of the of the of the wash or the fens rather the fens and this battle between kind of sea and land. And you know, Shooting Times has always been a place that's championed great writing. Um, I was really cheered recently. Mark Avery, who's no friend of driven grouse shooting certainly said that you know there are lots of things in shooting times he doesn't like but he thinks that the writing is really really brilliant and you know miles malone is 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 a new writer and is and is great so you know and also young writers i mean we've got a lot of young writers now and i always whenever young people get in touch with me and they say they'd like to write something whenever i can i try and put an hour aside to talk to them and talk to them about their writing um so it's really nice to see new voices great and, to see um, interesting voices in there Speaking of uh, young voices, Johnny Carter's got a, a great review of the Ithaca Model 37, which is a blast from the past. Um, fabulous pump-action shotgun, and he's done done it justice, I think, which is... Um, you I know, thought you were going to say Johnny Scott there, speaking of young voices. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's at the other end of the spectrum, I think. But, um, you know, a true countryman and, and someone that... Um, 
speaks very well and understands what we're all Johnny Carter yeah very well I mean his experience for a relatively young guy I mean he's been everywhere he's done it he's, he's been a keeper in this country he's been a worked professional a hunter shop. in Africa he's worked in a gun shop he does video he writes very well I called him up and I said to him Johnny can you write and he said yeah of course I can write and I, and I thought I was going to be sort of disappointed this was going to be like a bridge too far but actually you know he writes um he writes very well yeah the um so I'm just flicking through here really interesting piece Lindsay Waddell looks at the use of snares and how that's changed over time and what the future might hold for pest control. So yeah. I think that's something that, um, you know, there's potentially changes coming there. Um, and that's uh, another piece which is... Uh, which I mean, is snares are a fascinating one because, you know, look, I mean, we could all Google snaring foxes now and the images we would see would be pretty horrific uh, and you know I know people in in the shooting community who don't like the idea of snaring um, I went down to see a wild bird keeper on a place that won the Purdy award last year a young guy called Frank Snudden and he said to me look you need to understand that if snaring went uh, you know grey partridge conservation in this country would be pretty much over uh, and and he was pretty convincing on that actually so for me that was a, that was a bit of an eye-opener because you know it's just the fundamental point that when crops get up you can't shoot foxes because you know that you can't see them so you know snaring is there all day every day they're checking these snares every day um so it's it's another one of those you know what i mean it's a pretty thorny topic but it's, it's and one i think that, it will feature again in the news uh, you know there's going to be yeah yeah more yeah about yeah, it. yeah you know it, it will pop it's a hugely up. emotive issue and, and you know in wales now it's gone so yeah yeah um and uh great to see giles catchpole in the mag he's always Big a giles, very amusing yeah. read yeah so um very knowledgeable man the, also a part-time uh, motorcycle instructor. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, you find this, you find this. You know, there's something shooting times writers throughout time have been sort of you know curious, curious you know Renaissance men and rogues of of you know many talents. Uh, so yourself so included. Put myself included. I'm not a motorcycle instructor. I can't in fact even even ride a motorcycle. But you know, yeah. Something I enjoy annually is the um, the scores of all the robucks that come in. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's nice to see that there's um, uh, Scotland is definitely leading the uh, way, showing that yeah, giving giving Hampshire a run for its money. <laughs> yeah. Perthshire is it Perthshire or Angus always does quite well. Yeah, both. I think. Uh, I mean, Hampshire and West Sussex, I think, are other know, ones. Other ones, but uh, and I'm just looking at the list here. Um, yeah, got got Roe the size of a moose there in uh, in Hampshire. Yeah, well, that's good. Good to see that and. Um, uh, You've probably almost got to the recipe page there, which is a real, um, that's always a real favourite of mine. I actually, I really, um, you know, if I went part time, I would, I would cook every recipe and every uh, issue of Shooting Times, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, and I've just stumbled across um, a subscription offer that we've got on to go with the yes, Glorious 12. We've got a 12% 12, 12 discount, um, which includes. Uh, shooting insurance um, so there's a complimentary membership to the sporting shooters association and part of the benefits of that is is shooting insurance. and that and that is completely comprehensive shooting insurance right it's everything yep, that it's you public liability want. up yeah. to two million pounds so yeah um, if you subscribe and take up this offer you will have your shooting insurance included for no extra cost yeah so yeah. you get 12 percent off the subscription and you get your shooting insurance included so i think that's a great offer um, and uh, we're very happy to uh, get people insured. I think that's a very good thing to do. Yeah. So looking forward, Simon, um, I mean, we've got a lot of people, actually. It's been a great coming together of some fantastic titles. I'm really looking forward to getting some of the guys from Trout and Salmon on the podcast, actually. I know that you know not all of our 
guys who read and and girls of course who read shooting times fish but lots of them do and and the guys on trout and salmon are a really interesting team uh real kind of veteran journalists there i enjoy texting andrew flickcroft i ask him for tips on flies and so on he sometimes replies i think when he's got time sometimes doesn't so it'd be great to get him on there uh we've got you know we've got guys who know hell of a lot about stalking great to get them on there um who else i mean you spend a lot of time hunting in the states and and all over the place actually who who would you love to get on so in the last issue we had, uh, I accompanied the last issue of Field Sports Journal. Uh, I accompanied, which is one in, of our sister titles. One of our sister titles. Yeah, um, I was lucky enough to go along with um, Steve Hornady, um, who is the president of Hornady Ammunition, and he hunted uh, a Kashmir markhor in Pakistan in the uh, Hindu Kush foothills of the Himalayas, and I accompanied him on that hunt, which was fantastic. And it was in the last issue, which is still the current. And just tell me, tell me, I mean, are those? What's the conservation status of those? How does that? How does that work? So I go into it in some detail in in the article. Um, they were uh, IUCN red list uh, threatened, and they are going to become extinct. Uh, and the they IUCN, are going to become extinct. They were. They were right. In, right in the late eighties, yeah. they were on the on the red list, and then um, the Pakistani government and IUCN decided that they would uh, issue two licenses every year. Wow! Um, for a huge, huge price. Yeah. So over at the time, over a hundred thousand dollars. I think they're nearly two hundred thousand dollars now. Eighty percent of the proceeds would go back to the local community, uh, and now there is an a viable population and they've moved out of the red into the least threatened category so the uh, and and the only difference is the local people are now looking at it as a commercial income or or a, an income for um, new water um, pipes that come down from the top of the mountains to yeah. the villages. They built schools. Were they poached They'd, before, or, or how did that? They they were competing with um, domesticated goats oh, really? for food, um, and also the um, the locals would try and poison the snow leopards to stop them eating their domesticated goats, and the markle would get caught in snares and, oh, and really? get wrapped wow. up in poison. Yeah, yeah. And, and so. Now they want to keep the Markle because they can see the financial benefit to them on the ground and they've become custodians. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's been a really amazing conservation story where hunting and conservation have gone hand in hand. That'd to, be really cool to get him on there. Love to get Steve on, yeah. He's a, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a bit of a cantankerous guy, but I do... He's Also, a, just, I think it's fascinating. I mean, I read a book. I sent you a copy of it, I think, actually, on like a cultural history of hunting in America, Yeah, uh, which I was... Uh, yeah, really interesting. It's just interesting to talk to those guys in the States because, you know, we share a common language and we're both ostensibly nearly. into the same thing, nearly. But but actually, when you get talking to them, you realise it's a very different culture. And I don't think they have the kind of gung-ho sporting culture that we often think they do in this country, which is very interesting, you know, with limits and all that kind of thing. Yeah, they're very... Um, they're, they're true sportsmen. Um, and yeah, most, yeah. Um, I've hunted in Nebraska during the whitetail season, which is eight days long. Um, yeah, it's yeah. heavily regulated and people are very strict about following the, the regulations and the game laws and the seasons. Um, and there's a census done to identify how many animals can be hunted and you have to apply for a tag uh, yeah. for some species. If you're a resident in the state, you get a different uh, level of kind of opportunity. If you're a non-resident, as I am, then you sometimes go into a draw uh, and over a period of time you accrue points, um, which helps you to get more preference in the the draw the following year so um i'm hunting a um pronghorn antelope in wyoming in october a species i've not hunted before it's the i think it's the only antelope species to cast its its horns oh really um, so, wow yeah a very interesting species that's really interesting yeah 
So, yeah, I'm sure I'll write about that and it'll end up somewhere. I'm going up to the Hebrides to shoot some geese. That's as exotic as it's getting for me this year. But no, that'd be really interesting. Um, and yeah, and I mean, I, yeah, I think we shouldn't shy away from getting people on the podcast who have views that are different from our own. So, you know, we were talking about Mark Avery. He's got a new book out, very interesting book. Uh, you know, maybe get, uh, you know, we're talking about Chris Packham and his poodles. Uh, get get Chris on here with um, some poodle training tips and we can delve into... Who we've both spoken to. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he, he used to do a bit of fishing when he was young. So, you know, maybe we're not as different as we, uh, as we sometimes yeah, I mean, think. We, we had him as a, uh, we interviewed him in Field Sports Journal over two parts, which, drew, which divided opinion as we knew it would do. But um, we felt there was an opportunity to try and engage rather than attack. And uh, I'm not saying that everybody attacks, but there is, there are some people that choose that um, route to engage him. And uh, we've all seen how that works out in legal battles. I think I maybe even got a little mention in that in that in that interview as the, you did, the young yeah. editor of a field sports magazine who wasn't open to any of the exciting ideas that Chris had. Which I don't think is entirely true. I think he was I would say eighty percent of what he wants and eighty percent of what we want are the same, but there's twenty percent that he is that we do that's abhorrent to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. which I don't think we'll ever align on. But there are a lot of things that we all want, which is, you know, a vibrant healthy ecosystem um which we all know we want we we want mm. to see a net benefit to our activities uh, with yeah. a harvestable surplus um and we, and a thriving venison market i think lots of us want to want to see that probably chris packham included yeah okay cool well i think that probably just about wraps up our first podcast um yeah. very thank much thank you for having me on patrick oh thank you very much for um for uh, better paper stock yeah. um <laughs> let's hope the readers enjoy it yeah no uh so we'll be every every week every wednesday um from here on in um we will be talking about the latest issue of st with a real focus on the news and the chewy topics um and we really look forward to getting all sorts of people on there so we hope you've enjoyed listening this has been the Shooting Times podcast published by Field Sports Press. The latest issue is on the shelves today, on the shelves for a week, and we very much look forward to getting back on the airways next week.